Hello and welcome. My name is Anna Claire Noblet and I will be your host for this exciting second episode of the Dual Citizen podcast. This is a place where we ask questions on behalf of the upcoming generation of American citizens. Many of us who feel confused, helpless, and overwhelmed when it comes to engaging in American politics. This podcast is titled The Dual Citizen because I'm a Christian. God rescued me from my sin and made me a citizen of heaven. But right now I'm also a citizen of the United States with a responsibility to contribute to my community. As a college student, I'm wondering how those two identities interact. What is our responsibility and how do we lovingly engage a country that is walking away from the God of the Bible? In our first episode, we talked about finding a balance between our earthly and eternal citizenships and what our responsibilities are in those. Today, we're going to talk more about justice. And in the first episode, I read a Tim Keller quote from his book, Generous Justice, that says, A true experience of the grace of Jesus Christ inevitably motivates a man or woman to seek justice in the world. And so, in order to understand this quote and why justice is connected to the grace of Jesus, um, I have an awesome guest, and his name is Dr. Brent Strawn. He's an author and a professor of Old Testament and professor of law at Duke University. And I'm so excited for you all to hear our conversation. All right. So today I am here with Dr. Brent Strawn, and thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure to be here. Dr. Strawn, based on your years of study of the Old Testament, we're going to start simple. Does God care about justice? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that is a simple question on the face of it, but we could talk about it all day long because the Bible is full of materials that say God cares very, very deeply about justice. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could start all the way at the beginning of Genesis, right, with the story of uh, Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. That's our first story outside the Garden of Eden, and it's two brothers, and the older ends up killing his younger brother, and uh, when God confronts Cain about it, Cain sort of says, I don't know where my brother is, of course, remember, and, and, and then God says, what have you done? Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And the language that's used there, that verb crying out to me, is really prayer language later in the Bible. So the first real prayer um, uttered in scripture is the prayer of a victim's blood crying out to God for justice, that God would set things straight. And so right there, you know, your first prayer is a prayer of justice, and that just inaugurates a a whole, well, we would say a whole Bible full of God's concerns about justice. Um, Right. It just goes on and on. on It goes on and on. And really the ultimate story, as you well know, is really the Exodus story that, that shows God's deep concern for justice and the release of God's people from Egypt. Uh, those that that's really the fundamental narrative in in scripture in my view that exodus narrative it dominates the rest of the old testament and and really undergirds much of the new testament as well yeah yeah for sure and that's even you know just because of that major theme throughout the old testament it really just i mean does that show god's character i mean to me to me i think it does Oh, yeah, for sure. It would be one of the more sublime virtues of God if we were thinking about it in more systematic theological terms, that God is a God of justice and cares for the setting right of wrongdoing. This is connected to ideas of sin and and all the rest. 
but the sin in question isn't always a kind of a, of the personal pietistic variety, but really also of the societal and systemic variety. Um, and with regard to criminal law, with regard to uh, economic justice, et cetera, the, what the what the Bible does, and particularly the prophets, is is expand our moral horizons to to show that really everything is moral, and this morality really hangs extensively on God's deep concern for justice. So it's it's all over the pages of Scripture. If we if we miss it, it's because we're intentionally trying not to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, super super insightful. Just really hard to miss if we open our eyes to it, and so. Some of the more maybe confusing um, parts of the Old Testament are, are all of these laws that we just see books and books and books of, of Old Testament law. And until Israel asked for a king, God was their king, and, and this was a, a theocracy. And so God established um, a law for his people, and, and a, lot of, a lot of those laws seem to establish civil rights and social justice in the community of Israel. And can you explain a few of those things? Yeah, I mean, it is it is an important point you bring up because the theocracy of ancient Israel can't be easily mapped onto, say, the modern constitutional and secular democracy of the United States. So the proper analog to think about who this, the, the laws of Scripture most likely apply to would really be those people of faith who continue to follow God in the world. Um, and so for our purposes as Christians, that's that's the church. But these these laws um, are really about the establishment of a just society, uh, a righteous society, the good neighborhood, even you could put it that that way. And um, they're full of 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 particular points that concern uh, special care and attention that ought to be paid to those who are weak and powerless in the society. Uh, in our in our own society, we call these sorts of you know welfare systems or care for for impoverished people. This is uh, already throughout the scriptures and, and mandated not by just the government um, in a, in the secular sense, but really by government with with big G in the case of ancient Israel by God, um, the head of the government the, of the theocracy. So these laws are mandate care for for the weakest and most vulnerable in the in the population. And these are people like widows and orphans who no longer have access to stronger, uh, more politically weighty people. Um, that is the fathers or the husbands back in the, that particular society, and also immigrants, uh, people who are passing through, who are staying, whether temporarily or long term. Um, the Bible is just full of proper care and concern for these people. And a third category that we should add, which is the Levites, the people who don't make a living outside of the work that they do for the uh, temple and for the proper worship of the community. These three three groups, the Levites, the priests, um, and the uh, immigrants, and the uh, impoverished and, and powerless, these are the three central uh, people of concern, crew people groups that the laws continually return to and mandate that uh, Israel pay particular attention to and take care of. Don't don't let them fall through the cracks. Wow. Wow. So since these are laws of Israel under a theocracy, what are the implications for us today and, and how do we translate this idea of justice from the Old Testament to our world that is so, so different? This is a great question and very difficult one to answer. You know, on, on the one hand, the Bible comes to us in a form that's not 
ideally suited to think about public policy for the 21st century, right? I mean, we have just iPhones, among other things that could be mentioned that mm -hmm. ancient Israel didn't, didn't know of and couldn't imagine, you know. So our society is highly complex, just in, in terms of technology, let alone economy, much more stratified, complex, et cetera, than anything the ancient world could, could ever imagine. But that's where I go back to that earlier point that we mentioned earlier, that, that if the proper analog is theocracy, not constitutional secular democracy, then that means that uh, it's the church, it's the people of faith um, who are attempting to follow God and God's word and scripture that have to hear those words as addressed to us. So that's to say, not that we don't want our governments um, to provide for people who need help, but we should also not let the government's duties in that regard, which are, I would say, of paramount importance. We don't let the government do all the work that the church itself has been called to. Yeah, and yeah. And, and so, even if we don't have control over how our local or state or federal governments are, are treating these individuals, I mean, we have our you know, our civic responsibility to contribute in whatever way we can. But the question right. is still for the church. That's and right. For us as individuals who, you know, are citizens of God's kingdom and he's he is still our king. That's right. So this is in our if in that sense, religious law. You know, it's not just civil law or something like that. It's it's for us religious law if we care about following scripture. Now again, the the laws of, you know, gleaning or something are going to have to be applied creatively to present circumstances. But for those of us who are Christians who care about Scripture, we can't ignore the laws about gleaning or, or any other laws because we are giving lip service, at least, that we attend to these words as the words of life and the words of um, that God calls us to pursue. And so a lot hangs on um, not just simplistic mapping uh, of, of ancient Near Eastern or ancient Israelite polity to contemporary political structures. It has to be more creative than that. But for Christians, you can't get around Scripture as this fount, as fundamental starting point for all polity. Uh, yeah. So it's not, it, you know, it, it, the Bible doesn't come to us as a book of public policy per se, but the beginning of public policy for Christians is the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. And and really, even more so, we, we can get to the New Testament and then we can see Jesus living in a society where God wasn't king. You know, he was fully man and fully God, came to live on earth under a Caesar. And in that displays an even more practical side of God's heart for justice, but the same, the same character because he is the image of the invisible God. So getting to my next point, kind of this idea of justice and even some of these other characteristics that we know are, are rooted in God and his character have been taken by non-Christians and, and kind of, you know, people hop on this social justice movement and, and that's awesome, but it, sometimes it seems to be a movement that's even separate from the church. And so that's just really interesting to me. And so my question is, what should our involvement look like? And I think we've established that, that, you know, the church should be involved in justice. Absolutely. But are Christianity and justice separable at all? Well, it's a great, great, 
point you raise because it's often the case to the church's great shame, I think, that major movements outside of the church have led in attending to justice, you know, that Mm -hmm. not always, in fact, some of these movements have been led by by Christians, you know, the rise of the hospital and the orphanage and things like this were were closely related to Christian movements, um, as we saw in the Methodist revival in England under John and Charles Wesley. But oftentimes, especially of late, it seems that those who care deeply about justice are often not Christians and Christians sometimes find themselves slow on the uptake. And this is a great, uh, you know, mark against Christianity that uh, we're slow in in this. On the one hand, we can say, praise God that the spirit of God is is at work in the world, even outside the walls of the church. Um, And one thing to say about that would be that if the spirit can't get it done inside the walls of the church, the spirit will get it done some way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, let let us not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, as the, the New Testament says. But I think uh, your your deeper question is, um, can you be a Christian and, and not care about that? And I think the answer to that is really no. There's more to life with God than justice, but there is no life with God without justice. For me, one of the ways this pans out is the way the, the prophets speak continuously of righteousness and justice together. In fact, so much so that they can speak of them in the same line of poetry as matching terms. This is a famously uh, known in American politics because of uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech where he quotes and says, uh, you know, let justice roll down like waters, righteousness like a never flowing stream. Well, it's a great line, but he didn't make it up. He's quoting Amos mm-hmm. chapter five, and in that, in that little line of poetry, let justice roll down like waters, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, those two lines are in perfect poetic parallelism in Hebrew. And they, what that means is that according to Amos and Martin Luther King Jr., these two things go together, justice and righteousness. What's interesting is those two terms aren't exactly the same. Justice really does correspond more to what we would call today social justice activity. Righteousness might correspond to what we would think of kind of as acts of individual piety, moral purity, etc. But the prophet says this, these two things go hand in hand. What's interesting is that many Christians have sort of only been interested in righteousness, internal, personal piety, moral purity. Justice is something else. And so therefore, people outside the church have, have pursued justice. But the prophets say we've got to have both. They go together so closely that they relate to one another in a single line of Hebrew poetry. So you got to have both. You really have to have both. You can't have life with God without justice, just like you can't have life with God without righteousness. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that just shows it's it's an internal thing as well as external. I mean, we can in, in pursuing righteousness justice is going to be done in our own hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, to eliminate prejudice in my own heart or, you know, that, that is just as much of a need for justice. Um, and I think that's almost the hardest part. And so it's like just acknowledging that, that, that injustice is, is in us and in our sin nature and then pursuing justice and righteousness, both internally and externally. And so another thing that, you know, I think when you look at 
kind of the world's pursuit of social justice, um, you know, it, it works a lot of times and there's been so many good things to come out of, um, you know, human rights and Mm -hmm. these different social justice movements. But, you know, I feel like it's, it's not as powerful as it could be without this source of gospel love, because I'm only going to be able to stand in the gap for someone and, and stand up for someone who can't speak for themselves. If I understand my need and my redemption and Jesus standing in the gap for me, um, and I'm only going to be able to eliminate that internal just injustice or pre- prejudice in my own heart if I'm just humbled by my need for a savior and, you know, how he has adopted me as a spiritual orphan, clothed me, fed me, you know, freed me from oppression that is in the form of my sin. And so, you know, it's like these these movements are great, but man, imagine if we could unite um this this gospel mission with some of the practical um you know movements that our world is acknowledging and fighting for because really that love and that message of the gospel is the kind of the the fire underneath that could really you know fan the flame so that's right the gratitude you 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 name this gratitude that we feel for our own salvation our own the mercy we have experienced as motivating and and the correlate of that is really the call of God that is there even despite that, you know, that the rightness that has to be done. So, you know, despite the fact that these two go together, this righteousness and justice, it's it's kind of intriguing to me to think, well, if you if you had to favor one, you wouldn't want to, you know, they have to go together, of course. But if you had to favor one, which one would be would need to be favored? Is it this internal disposition or is it the external act? And I think that the scripture says, you know, the external act is of, of, of right action and justice seeking is really, at the end of the day, the most important of those two. We see this in, in, in Jesus' parable, parable about the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, where the ultimate criterion of, on whether one is a sheep or a goat is not, you know, their internal dispositions, but what they actually did. Did they clothe the naked? Did they visit the imprisoned? Did they feed the hungry? That's what it comes down to. And um, in that sense, what Jesus does in the New Testament, as you so nicely pointed out, is in fact image um, God, you know, by by clothing people or, or at least, uh, you know, healing them right, in this sense, right, and feeding them and and all the rest and, and, and caring for them. And also back to the righteous thing, telling them to go and sin no more. Right. So these two things right. go hand in hand. I think you're right. And, and it's just, uh, it's so important if we're going to err on a side is uh, to, to not neglect that justice side, which is so crucial through scripture. Right. Wow. Yeah. So having talked about God's justice and, you know, his character and therefore our call to carry out justice wherever we can on earth. I think it's clear, you know, the answers to those basic questions, God, God does care. And therefore we have a responsibility and we must act as the church and just as individuals who proclaim um, to be citizens of heaven and, and to follow God as our King. And so whether this means caring for orphans and widows or seeking to end modern day slavery or, you know, asking God to, to do a work of justice in our own hearts and help us see people 
equally in our own hearts and minds, it's it's not going to look the same for each person. And then how that practically goes out into the world is totally dependent on, you know, our context and our skills and our education. And, and there's probably one of these different issues that really um, gets different people fired up. And so mm-hmm. um, that's going to look different for all of us. But this truth lays the groundwork for us to understand that justice does reflect God's heart so much. And so in the following episodes, I'm going to be interviewing other students and people about more practical ways to carry this out in our daily lives with whatever we have to give. Um, But I appreciate you, Dr. Strawn, so much just helping us understand the urgency and importance and just the clarity of scripture that, um, you know, we have a call to justice and righteousness. And I just really appreciate your time. Well, it's been my pleasure. And, you know, talking about these things, is ne- it's never easy because it's a it's a real, you know, um, shot in the arm or a punch in the gut to, to talk a lot about justice and then to look hard at one's life and see what one is doing to actually work towards it. Um, and I just want to say one last one last thing, which is uh, to echo what you've already said so well, that the the connections here are thoroughly biblical you know we talked a lot about old testament texts but the new testament is full of this too and the verse that just came to my mind in listening to you talk is from the end of james chapter one so there's james jesus's brother and he says true religion the kind that's pure and faultless before god the father is this to care for orphans and widows that's justice in their difficulties and to keep the world from contaminating us. That's the righteousness. So there's James in the New Testament, Jesus' own brother, addressing fellow Christians in the first century saying, you know, Amos had it right. And uh, so did Jesus, you know. So this is a, a, a great um, conversation to have. I encourage you in this work and the podcast. And also it's, it's helped me in thinking about my own walk with God. So thanks. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. A couple of things for our listeners. If you have not already, go back and listen to the pilot episode just to get a better understanding of what the dual citizen is. And wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, go in there and there's a link to become a dual citizen, which is basically just to be part of our email community where you can get updates and where you can send me your questions. 